Um, well, good evening, everybody. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Every Nation Rosebank. It's so good to have you in the house tonight. Um, if you are here, this is our second evening of our series called Intentional, which is all about relationships. Um, who made it to last week's session on friendship? Jessie was amazing. She was so incredible. Yeah, let's give her a hand. So I have a hard act to follow. Um, so I'm going to be talking tonight about being intentional, intentional in courtship, okay? We'll talk about that more as we go. Just a bit of a recap. So last week, Pastor Jesse spoke to us about being intentional in our friendships. And what she was getting us to be intentional about is the fact that we need to be loved and we need to practice healthy boundaries. Can you remember that? Um, the reason for that is, is that because, as she explained to us, the choices we are making in our friendships right now are actually the choices we're going to be making in all our relationships. That the way we do friendship is the way we do relationship. And she was really challenging us to be a lot more intentional around how we conduct our friendships, about who we are friends with, about who we let into our lives. It was very challenging and very encouraging. But remember, the two things she really hammered hard was live loved and have healthy boundaries. And the reality of those two things is that that is the basis of every healthy relationship. Whether it's friends, work colleagues, family, romance, if you don't know how to live loved in that relationship and you don't have healthy boundaries, it's going to go horribly. And so as we move from friendship to courtship, keep those things in mind. What are they again? Living loved and having healthy boundaries. So I thought for a change <laughs> that we would go back to the beginning. And if you've got your Bibles with you tonight, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read a few verses from Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, the first thing we have to understand is that relationship, community, family, marriage, romance is God's idea. We didn't make it up. We didn't get bored somewhere in history and decide, yeah, relationships, that's the thing. Let's make marriage as complicated as it can possibly be. We sort of did that 10 years ago, but... Um, but this is God's idea that from the very creation of man, we were created out of love for love. We are creatures who need love, but more than that, we are creatures who have to show love. And if either of those are lacking in our lives, we grow up in dysfunction. Verse 21 continues, and it says, um, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What a beautiful space to end. Imagine relationships where you are naked and unashamed. 
where you can strip your soul bare, and all that's going to happen is you're going to be received and accepted and cherished and loved and encouraged and inspired to be the best you can be. Well, that's the point. That's what all of us should be living and experiencing and helping others to live and experience. So, what could the very first couple in the universe teach us about relationships? Their courtship journey is really one of the most unique and unusual in the history of the planet. So short. Adam goes to sleep. We don't know how long he slept, and God makes a woman for him, and he wakes up, and there's his wife, and God gives her to him, and they frolic joyfully through the garden. Yes, that's a euphemism, just in case you were wondering, because it does say they were naked and unashamed, but you know, we're just moving on right there. Um, now, most of us, if we had to get really honest tonight, would say, why couldn't it still be like that? When I'm ready for a husband or a wife, I just go to sleep, and then God makes them, and then I wake up, and there they are, and it's perfect, and it's wonderful, and we just carry on with our life. Most of us really wish it was that simple. The reality is it just doesn't work like that. And in fact, I've made that joke, and I got criticized for it the last time I preached, because I was saying, talking about how important it is not to forsake the gathering of the saints. And I was saying, you know, what if you need healing, and they pray for healing? What if you need a prophecy, and they pray for prophecy, and you didn't come to church that day? And then, you know, just because I am who I am, I said, what if they're giving away free husbands that Sunday, and you weren't there? And the reason I got critiqued for it is because that would just be weird, wouldn't it? That would be really weird if God just gave you a woman. Some of you are praying for that, and we're going to chat about that later. <laughs> and so the reality is it just doesn't work that way. And so we've got to be honest tonight. For most of us, the task of finding a lifelong partner, of finding a spouse, is really daunting. For most of us, it's arduous. For all of us, it's stressful. Can we just be honest tonight? But we have to do the work. Why doesn't God just give us a wife or a husband? I actually asked him this when I was preparing. And as I was thinking about it and trying to listen to him, what I realized is that it keeps coming back to the what is the point of Christianity? See, God doesn't just give us a wife or a husband because the point of Christianity is what? That I will be known by God and I will know him. Know him. The point of Christianity is that a supernatural, almighty God chooses to partner with sinful, fallen, broken man to manifest his kingdom on the earth. God is sovereign. He absolutely is. That means he can do anything he wants to do. But what God has decided in his mystery and majesty is that you and I are the vehicles he will work through. It flabbergasts me. I wake up so often in the morning, look at myself in the mirror, and think, oh my God, what were you thinking? And I, don't, I know I'm not the only one. But this is his plan, and it is his only plan. And the reason he's not just going to give us a husband and wife is because he wants us to learn to know him and to know ourselves in him. So that we think his thoughts and we feel his feelings and we do his acts. And that we are not lost and confused because we understand who our God is. 
And what this means for our relationship is that as we learn to let, let ourselves be loved by God, we are healed. And then our hearts are fully transformed by the power of his love. I've been reading the Passion Translation a lot lately, and this verse from Ephesians, which I've always loved, was just so beautifully reflected in that translation. It says this, it's Ephesians 3, verse 18 to 19. And it says, then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is this love, how enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Do you know that that's how God loves you? Most of us don't even understand those words because they're so big and out there, we can't begin to comprehend the love that God has for us. But it says when we know that love, we are empowered. And when I live loved, I live empowered, I live courageous, I live adventurous. When I live loved, I am willing to take the risk that is required to step out and step into my purpose and let God use me the way he designed me to be. See, God wants our faith. What God is after from you tonight is your faith. Some of you walked in here tonight and you're like, God, what do you want from me? He wants your faith. You see, some of us would rather, uh, you know, give money, <laughs> give time, do the work, but we don't want to trust him. And faith is vulnerable. Faith is honestly the most vulnerable thing God could ever ask us to do. Because faith means that I look at the void of my life and realize that there's a massive lack, that there's a massive problem. And then I look into the void of creation and I see God somewhere out there and I have to go, oh, but you're the only one who can help. So you've got to come here. How does that happen? I trust you. I step into the darkness and I hope against hope that you are there. <laughs> you see, God's after our faith because our faith attracts him. In fact, faith is the only thing that moves God. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is kind. But it is our faith that moves him. What would Johannesburg look like if need moved God? You see, the issue at hand is that when you see a need, that's the point of faith. You and God will figure out. That's what the havens is all about. It's an act of faith. Why? Because people saw a problem and a need. There are too many orphans in this world. And then they figured out what to do, and they trusted God every step of the way. And what David spoke about tonight wasn't even a sprinkling of the testimony of what God has done in the havens. And this is why God doesn't just give you a husband or a wife. Yeah, it's tough. Because we are supposed to know ourselves and know God and live our purpose in faith and trust Him. Jesse um, spoke so much about identity. Who, who remembers Christie's beautiful testimony? 
all about identity. And this is the issue. Is identity in the fact that you are loved by a man or a woman? Is identity in the fact that there's somebody at home waiting for you? Or is your identity in who God has made you to be? And the fact that you can step out there and matter in the world because of that. So I want to suggest something to you tonight. And it's a little harsh, but it's good. (laughs) That when we are praying for a spouse, what we mean is, God, give me a spouse, give me a spouse, give me a spouse, give me a spouse, give me a spouse. Let me meet them, let me meet them, let me meet them. Is that them? Is that them? There we go. (laughs) Marsha's being honest here. She's married. She's got that whole thing sorted out. It's him. (laughs) But actually, maybe having faith for a a spouse is actually believing that God can change you. Is actually believing that the Almighty God of the universe can work something in you, that He has a purpose for you, a plan for you, that He loves you, that you are held in His everlasting arms, that there is courage in you and grace in you. And then you are going to be an amazing spouse. And I wonder if that isn't what faith is actually about. See, the sad and tragic truth of life is that all of our brokenness, our dysfunction, our pain, our hurt, our damage has actually occurred in the context of relationship. Either because that relationship was harmful and toxic and abusive and damaging, or because that relationship just didn't even show up in your life. And so you have been hurt in the context of relationship. And this is why we talk about relationship. This is the why the Bible talks about it so much. Because do you know what? In God's mystery, he understands that the only way you are going to be healed of that damage, that dysfunction, that whatever, is in the context of relationship. And that's hard, isn't it? Because in our society, we are taught, when you are hurt, what, what do we say in English? Once bitten, twice shy. feel like that's a wham song. Last Christmas, it's coming all, all coming back to me. I won't sing it for you now. But once bitten, twice shy. And what that means is, is that in our understanding and in our culture, if you hurt me or you damage me, I run a mile. And not only do I not let you do it again, but I won't let anybody do it again. And the problem with that is, is that it teaches me not to be vulnerable. It teaches me to hide my heart, to mask myself. It teaches me that I have to protect myself and that I am the only one who can do that. You know, I've said this to young people, and they just don't believe me, and they don't get it. <laughs> but here is the fact and the truth of Christianity. If, when you gave your heart to Jesus, you made a covenant to live from a broken heart. We sang that song tonight about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's called brokenness. Think about that. And yet we think that living a Christian life means everything goes right, it's all perfect, it all happens, I get what I want when I want it. If I agree with it, it's yeah, it's there. What we don't realize is if God didn't spare his own son brokenness, what, how are we going to escape? And the issue of brokenness is that Jesus chose vulnerability and weakness over just winning a fight. Because he knew that you were actually the battle. 
And so guys, you've got to understand, if you are a Christian tonight, you better be waiting, you better be wanting, you better be longing, there had better be some kind of frustration in your heart, or else you are not a Christian. Well, how do I know that? Because heaven has not yet manifested fully on earth. If you are satisfied by everything you have, then you've got what you want. It's done. Go home. <laughs> I am not in heaven yet, so I am longing, I am waiting. There is an ache in my soul for something that only God can fulfill. And the point of that ache is that it gets me out here speaking to you like this. It gets you out doing something, doing homework with kids in Friedrichdorf. That ache in your heart gets you out doing something. Why? Because something has to get better, and I am the only one who can bring God to the situation because I am the only thing on this planet who can have faith. You know, trees and fields might clap their hands, <laughs> but they have no faith. They are trees and they are fields, and that's what they do. They are fulfilling their purpose every second of every day. They don't need faith. You and I need faith. Yeah, and so sometimes, because we are dysfunctional, because we are damaged, and because we hurt, we need to intentionally engage in relationships, friendships, spiritual family. If you didn't grow up in family, well, here we are. I'm sorry this is as glamorous as it gets, but here we are. And we will love you and we will help you, but you better show up. And this is vulnerability. I have a problem. I don't have it all together. I'm actually a freak. <laughs> yeah, now you all just let me carry that one by myself, but talking about you as well. And so I want to encourage you again that when it comes to believing for a spouse, we better change our understanding. I'm believing for them to do what? To go through the same process I'm going through. And so that means next time you're praying for your spouse, you better be praying 75% for your own heart and 25% for theirs. And they better be going through the same process as you or else you're in trouble. Let me go there. So I know that in my life, sometimes when we're praying for the partner, what we're actually doing is we're trying to magically protect ourselves. And we conjure up this image in our head of the perfect man or the perfect woman. And we pray that to God. That person does not exist. Because the whole point of relationship, are you getting it, is that you will be hurt and you will be broken. And that's the point. Because when two of you are broken together, you heal together. You grow together. Marsha's nodding her head. Apparently it's true. I didn't just make that up. And so tonight, for those of you who are trusting for a godly marriage, for a spouse, for a healthy romantic relationship, I want to talk to you about two things that Adam and Eve do teach us a little bit about. And the first one is constancy, and the second one is counterbalance. So I often forget that Adam and Eve actually exist outside of, of Genesis chapter 2. <laughs> How long were Adam and Eve in the garden for? Nobody knows. The way we read it, it sounds like God made Adam and Eve, they started having sex, and then five minutes later, she was eating an apple. <laughs> no. 
We, we don't know how long, they, Adam could have been in the garden by himself for a million years, and him and Eve could have been there together for two million. We don't know. But they had a much more of a life than we understand in Genesis chapter two. Not only that, but outside of the garden, they remained married, and that's actually where they start their family. And so the story that we do know of Adam and Eve is that God gives them to each other and they're living this perfect, beautiful, utopian marriage. They're naked and unashamed and nothing is restricted to them except two trees. And just because of that alone, they commit sin together. As soon as they've committed sin together, they then blame and accuse each other. They are then flung out of utopia, out of Eden, out of God's garden flung out, everything lost, into a world where they now have to figure out how to plow and sow and chop and reap. They'd never done those things. Why? Because everything they needed was right there for them. Then they have children. Then those children, one of those children kills one of the other children. How does a marriage survive that? But theirs did. So they start together, but they end together. And, you know, the Bible doesn't give us all the um, psychology of people, of why. You know, sometimes when I read the Bible, I'm like, wait, what? And then I have to use my imagination and go, oh, yes, okay, so she was hurt, and then she took offense. Oh, oh, I see. So we have to fill in the blank, because we're people. We know how people go. So I feel like that's why the writers of the Bible were just like, this is what happened. You'll figure out. You know. You're doing the thing. (laughs) You're doing it. So... (laughs) So I wonder if one of the lessons that Adam and Eve learned through this whole journey was that they can't hide away from from their mistakes. I wonder if that's what helped them in their relationship going forward. Because, you know, when they they ate that fruit together, what was it again, Siv? The bad banana, what was it? The malevolent mango, that's it, yeah. Um... You know, they tried to hide, didn't they? They tried to hide in the bushes. God, God knew where they were. He knew where their hearts were. They couldn't hide, and they had to confront God. They had to stand before God and say, we've done this. And you know, the same is for us today. Because whatever we are doing in our relationships, whatever we come up with, we're going to have to face God one day. And so let us, like Adam and Eve, learn from our mistakes, that we cannot hide our mistakes. Can you see vulnerability again? Honestly, before God, before myself, before others, before the one I love. Proverbs 10 verse nine says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. And so what constancy is about is about character. It's about integrity. And you cannot have trust in a relationship when one of you lacks character, when one of you does not have integrity. When both of you lack character, it's not going to work. There will be no trust. There will just be two people with masks fighting each other for control the entire time, hiding away everything all the time. That's hell on earth. So as you are heading towards courtship, if that is your desire, 
Take stock of your constancy. Are you aware of spaces where you try always to look good by amending yourself to what others want of you? That's a lack of constancy. Do you recognize when you are trying to cover up and hide your mistakes or failures? It's a lack of constancy. Are you quick to repent of sin? Or does it take six months, and in those six months, you leave the church and lose your salvation and compound the sin by adding six other ones to it? And then when you finally can't handle it anymore, you run to church and get refreshed and find the Father. That's a lack of constancy because you don't know who God is. Like, God does not change. Your sin hasn't changed God one little bit. If it had, I don't know what God would have turned into because there's seven billion of us sinning. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I'm not, <laughs> sorry, Marsha, but it's <laughs> what I mean by that is God, how God felt about you before you sin is exactly the way he feels about you after you sin. Now, let's really put the rub on it. While you're sinning, he doesn't change. You do, he doesn't. And so we need to understand who God is. God is constant. He's so constant, it horrifies us because he does not change. Are you regular in your relationship with God? Because you can be vulnerable before man, but if you don't know how to be vulnerable before God, I'm going to just leave that there. <laughs> and as you are heading into courtship and you are pursuing people you are interested in, you better be taking stock of their constancy and be honest about it. Now, we've got to give each other a try and a chance because none of us are perfect. But if you realize that this person is always just putting on a brave face, and when you ask a question, they've got nothing personal to say, you need to ask them about that. Why, why are we so scared? This is somebody you're thinking of spending the rest of your life with. If that coffee date is about them dissembling and refusing to tell you anything, your life is going to be about dissembling. <laughs> you're never... Um, get this. That coffee date is a microcosm of the rest of your life. So some of you need to get a backbone and say, thanks, dude, I'm paying for my own coffee, bye. Okay. So you've got to be responsible with your consistency, but then you've got to be responsible in recognizing inconsistency in other people. Not for judgment, not for rebuke, but so you can go, is this a space that I want to build in. Can I trust here? And this is also why we, we're going to talk about intentional conversations a little later, and Tony and Katie, who had a very busy Sunday, are going to tell you amazing things. But just to say that it's good to ask questions, and it's okay, ladies, men, it's good to ask questions. If, if don't accuse them, don't call them out, just say, you know, you're not really giving me anything personal here. Make a joke, just, because maybe they, Maybe as you ask that, they might have a chance to change. They might suddenly realize they need to grow. And you might be able to encourage them in that. So don't go around blind. The second thing is counterbalance. Learning to love another person requires learning the skill of balancing all kinds of tensions. We think we know what love means. That's a perfect image of it. That is love. You see, they're not fighting each other, but they're balancing. And it's taking a lot of effort and a lot of tension 
And if one of them tries to take control over the other, they're both going to fall down. And so here's one of the tensions. Love requires sacrifice, doesn't it? Absolutely. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So it's a command. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And how did he love us? He gave himself up. That word gave himself in the Greek literally means to surrender. And sacrifice is painful. It's painful because it requires me to surrender what I want for what we need. It's painful because it requires me to surrender what I think what is going to be best for us. Does that make sense to you? I give up what I think for what is going to be best for us. I have to surrender what I feel for what is actually happening and for what I have to do so we can go forward. But as we choose to surrender appropriately to each other in courtship and in marriage, we will build each other up just as Christ built the church up by offering himself. So that's true. All of that is true. That's a deep Christian principle. Sacrifice is powerful. But at the same time, love is a balance between independence and interdependence. Why? Because love should always uphold your individuality. It should never degrade or destroy it. In fact, if you are in a relationship where in any way you are being manipulated or controlled in such a way that you cannot be who God has made you to be, you need to leave. If you are in a relationship where you are trying to control or manipulate because that person isn't what you want them to be, you need to leave. It's not healthy. It is not good. And so this is the tension. Appropriate sacrifice, but recognizing I am my own person before God, and I am responsible. And there is a space where abuse happens because I let it happen. It happens because people intend it and want to do it, but sometimes there is a space where I stay in abuse because I think I want to be a good Christian, and I should sacrifice, and I should relent. You are responsible before God. What must he say to you? Ask for help. Let us know what's going on. But you better find courage because you might have to leave. And so these are the tensions. This is the counterbalance we've got to hold in courtship, in marriage. And if we don't learn it in courtship, it's just going to take longer in marriage. You know, there's intimacy in friendship, isn't there? But I've watched amazed and astounded. The second friends start courting, it goes to a deeper level of intimacy. The second courting couples get engaged, there's another level of intimacy. The second they get married, that intimacy goes off the charts. It sounds wonderful, but it's actually darn scary. Because now I can't hide. Now everything I do, there's another whole world I am responsible for in what I do. And so here's the problem. If you don't learn it in friendship, it's going to take very long to learn it in marriage. 
and it's going to be a million times harder. The point of courtship is discovery. Courtship isn't like, I like you, we're going to go for seven coffee dates, then we're going to go out, then three months later I'm going to ask you to marry me, and then six months later we're married. If anybody suggests that to you, leave. <laughs> Pay for your own coffee and go. Courtship is about discovery. And think about every great discoverer. And right now I know I'm trading on all kinds of like um, stuff, you know, because it's about white men getting on boats and going to the world. But any case, we're going to go there. The, the thing with discovery, maybe let's talk about scientific discoveries. Somebody actually had to do the effort. Somebody had to do the work. Madame Curie was not just drinking tea and eating petty fours when she got irradiated. She actually got herself, she killed herself basically to figure out how all of this worked. She did the work. And courtship requires work. So ladies and gentlemen, what that means is get off your butts and meet people. Do something. Get creative. Ladies, let's talk about creative. You like a guy in that connect group. Talk to your connect group leader and say, we are going to have a social. I'm going to organize it. Get the No, listen. Now listen. I'm giving you the stuff here. I'm giving you the stuff. The Bible says, be innocent as doves and shrewd as snakes. I'm giving you the stuff. Get your connect group leader to speak to their connect group leader and organize the event. But you better darn well make sure that at that event you go over and say hello. And you just do this. You go, hi, I'm Susie. How are you? I love music and I love dancing. What are you into? <laughs> just have a real conversation. No, no, no. Mm -mm. See, that's the problem because this is where we've got to in the church. I don't understand how. If I say hello to somebody of the opposite sex, they're running home to fast and pray. No, I said hello. Be responsible. The most appropriate response to that is, hi. So let's practice that. Just say hi to the person next to you. There we go. None of you fell in love. None of you broke a heart. Seriously. Gentlemen, if you are interested in that lady and you know her friend, have a dinner. Organize a dinner. Say to them, it's an open invite. We can invite 12 people. Say to the friend, Tabileng, she's got to be there. Get creative. I'm 47. I don't want to meet people. I want to go home and sleep. You want to meet people and get married. This is how it's going to happen. Why are we weird? You know, there is spiritual stuff and then there's people. And God is like, what the heck is wrong with the people? Because the spiritual stuff is happening. So now get over your peopleness and do what people have to do. Imagine if Adam had been like, oh, Eve, um, I'm just gonna go pray and see if we should be together. 
Or like, Eve, just put some clothes on, please. Be people, be real people. Don't super spiritualize stuff that does not need to be super spiritualized. And don't lose your common sense. This is also counterbalancing. Basically, what we're saying to you is please start going out for coffee and movies and dinners and having interconnect group stuff. Please meet men and please meet women. Please, please. <laughs> we really need you to. And the discovery of, of, I mean, the journey of discovery in courtship is to discover who this other person really is, not what I want them to be, not what I think they are. Let me not recreate them in my image. Let me have such a healthy attitude and a healthy boundary that I can just say to them, I see who you are and I see what you're about. And either that works for me or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, let it go. Broken hearts. Nothing more beautiful in Jesus than a broken heart. You will be grateful for it later. It will hurt while it's happening, but you'll be okay. <laughs> Romans 8 verse 29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And that's an issue of confirming, conforming. You know, Siv and I are both conforming to the image of Christ. I know that because I know Siv. He is about going after Jesus. But just the irony, as Siv and I conform to the image of Christ, we both look more like Jesus, but we also both look more like us. I don't turn into Siv, and he doesn't turn into me. And so we cannot make each other conform to our image. That's who they are. Either it's good enough or it isn't. Um, I'm going to ask Katie and uh, Tony to come up. Let's give them a hand as they come up. And, and just to introduce them, I'm going to say that the only way we can discover each other is by asking questions, is about having intentional conversations, is actually asking, what is your purpose? Do you know what your purpose is? What are you dreaming of? What's significant that's happened in your life? Having really intentional questions, and that's what they're going to give testimony to. Evening all. We married 11 years now. <laughs> um, two daughters, Akari five, Nozipo two and a half, and a third in Tetulet on the way. Just what we need, uh, we've been asked to talk about today is really on um, courtship and the conversations we've had in that journey. So brief intro, it's a six-year journey. We met in 2001. I was living and working in Zimbabwe. Katie was living and working in Mozambique. She came to Harare, we met. Um, later, Katie was in Zim. I then moved to Botswana with work. Katie then went back to UK. I came back home to South Africa. <laughs> so, six-year journey. We never lived together in the same country until she moved here to marry me. Yes, so given that scenario, <laughs> given that scenario, clear communication and meaningful conversations were especially important for us. So we've been asked to share some of those key conversations that we had during that courtship. Okay, we've got three conversations. The first is, uh, I'll call it the skeleton in the closet conversation. You know the idea of skeletons that are in your closet, that they're hidden away and you hope no one's going to find them. Um, we had this conversation when I knew, we knew that we liked each other 
uh, but we were still just friends. We weren't pursuing anything more than that. Um, I wanted to get my skeletons out of the closet, and I let Tony know that I wasn't a virgin. Um, and we talked about the, I explained the circumstances surrounding that journey that I'd been on. Um, I wanted Tony to know that before we, it was even a purposeful friendship. I didn't want to find out that this was a big issue later. I would rather he knew the truth about me now if he were interested. And I felt secure to tell him because I knew that God had forgiven me, that my identity was in him and that his acceptance of me, God's acceptance of me, his love for me was more important than Tony's. It's exactly what Jesse was saying last week. Um, thankfully, it wasn't a problem for Tony at that point. In fact, he was amazing. He felt for me having been through the things that I'd been through emotionally. But having said that, Tony then found he had to process it and deal with it a whole lot more just before the wedding. So suddenly, I found myself as the wedding approached, thinking, but now I want Katie to be a virgin. Like, <laughs> Lord, I'm a virgin. I've kept myself like... How come this is not the plan? How, how come she's not a virgin? And I prayed about it, and God spoke to me through Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. And I just want to read it for you, because it was a really struggle with me, uh, with God at that time. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So I realized I needed to forgive Katie and see her in the same way as my spotless bride. And that bit about Jesus giving up his life, well, I realized that I had to give up my wishes, my hopes around this whole thing in order to present her to myself as my spotless bride. And, and also, who was I to be putting a standard higher than God's standard in place? You know, I actually found myself having to repent in that struggling, having asked that question. So fast forward a little bit, and we're, we've now got the not yet conversation. Um, we're in a purposeful friendship. Um, we're very yeah, clear that we like each other. Um, and, but at the same time, I'm in the middle of an emotional breakdown. Um, I've stopped eating and I've stopped talking. That's very unusual for me. Um, I was in Zimbabwe. I go back to the UK. Tony is um, burnt out and is diagnosed with clinical depression. He's in Botswana and he has to move back to, South, uh, back to Zimbabwe. Without God and boundaries, I'm pretty sure we'd have got together and tried to be each other's saviors. But Tony said, we are not in a place to make any emotional decisions. Let's just keep in touch. And we did. It's the codependency that Jesse spoke of last week. We could have become codependent. Um, in August of that year, this is 2003, Tony visited the UK and he met my family. We had an amazing six weeks seeing lots of each other, but both still very much in places of healing. Um, and... Tony, incidentally, was staying down the road at my friend's house. I was staying with a couple. There was a spare room. There were two spare rooms. But this is an aside. But it, 
This is a boundary that we put in place to protect ourselves from ourselves. It's really, really not healthy to stay in the same house as someone you like before you get married. Um, anyway, at the end of those six weeks, we were still in a place where Tony said, I can't commit to anything. Don't wait for me. Uh, Tony was incredibly releasing, but I found that really difficult. I was in no doubt at all that I loved him. And so the third conversation we're going to talk about is the conversation where Katie misheard and everything fell apart conversation. <laughs> so I was back in Harare now going through counseling in this clinical depression state. I went through some deep counseling, much like we have here called The Well. And <laughs> some fans of The Well here. So, and at the end of that, I spoke to Katie and said to her that I couldn't commit to anything in this state and realizing that I had a lot of work on my relationship that I needed, on my relationship with God that I needed to do. I still hoped that once I had, you know, my own identity in God sorted out, I would be able to pursue something with Katie. But Katie, on the other hand, heard that I couldn't commit to anything ever. So Katie got together with someone else that actually ended up in an engagement, and <laughs> I, had to, I had to deal with the reality So I had to deal with the reality that in making the decision that I believed to be right, the right decision with God, I had lost Katie, and I had to deal with that. But of course, you know, that's not how the story ends. <laughs> so let's face it, many of these conversations were not easy ones to have, but they are foundational in our relationship because they created a culture of trust and honesty and vulnerability right from the start. They focused on making sure that we were honoring God um, and looking towards what his purposes were for our lives and what his, his plans were. And we don't regret any of it. Um, we still try to ensure that the decisions we make about are about putting God first um, and each other second. And we can now talk about anything. So there are conversations that we're often keen to run away from, but they finally catch up with us. And our experience is to address things sooner rather than later. That's almost always the best policy. Uh, yeah, so have the intentional discussions. Have those intentional discussions. And I want you to say this, if something needs to end, it needs to end. Um, and I'll just end with this. What I'm saying about that is, it is way better to end a relationship than an engagement or a marriage. It is way better to end an engagement than a marriage. And so don't be polite. Don't let, I don't want to offend, just say what needs to be said and have that discussion. And if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Guys, you've been amazing. God bless you. Amen. Amen.